right, we are now in uh, week, I think, four of a message series that we're calling Transformed, where we are discovering what it really means to be a disciple of Jesus. Our base camp for this entire series has been Matthew 4.19, and so I want to go back there quickly to set the scene, and then we'll jump in to the message this morning. In this narrative, Jesus is walking by this uh, amazing sea. He comes upon uh, two guys, two fishermen, Peter and Andrew, and he extends the most incredible invitation that these guys had ever experienced in their lives, and Jesus quite frankly, extends that same invitation to you and to me. And so this will be on the screens for you. This is Matthew 4, 19. Jesus comes across these two fishermen um, by the Sea of Galilee, and this this is the invitation. He simply says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, if you've been tracking with us in this series, you know by now that there are three components of being a disciple of Jesus. Really simple, there's not a hundred components that you've got to memorize, there's not a thousand things or a thousand Bible verses you have to, this is not rocket science. Three very simple, easy to remember components. Follow, change on mission. That's what being a disciple of Jesus is. And so two two weeks ago we unpacked what it means to follow Jesus. Last week, we dug into what it means to be changed by Jesus. So we talked about this this process, this big biblical word of sanctification, what that actually means. And then today, we're going to dive into uh, that third component, living on mission with Jesus. And so that's kind of the discipleship triangle. Uh, That should be on your screen right now. And I, I love it because it's simple. It passes the napkin test. Anybody can sketch it out and, and memorize it. It's easy to remember. Uh, even a redneck from Alabama can remember it. So if I can do it, you can too. No excuses. Super simple. Three components to being a disciple of Jesus. And so today we're going to dive into that third component, living on mission with Jesus. And so my question is, as we begin, is what does that even mean? Like to, to be on mission with Jesus, what does that actually mean? Does that mean that we have to go on uh, tons of short-term mission trips every single year to, to live on mission with Jesus? Does that mean we have to quit our jobs and sell our homes and move overseas to some foreign land to, to live the rest of our lives as missionaries? Does that mean we have to uh, you know, go to seminary and become a pastor to live on mission with Jesus? What is living on mission with Jesus? Well, in Matthew chapter 28, I think probably some of the most famous words Jesus ever spoke are recorded for us as he's speaking to his disciples right after his resurrection and before he ascends uh, to heaven. And so I just want to read this to you. This will, again, be on your screen. Matthew 28, this is Jesus after his resurrection speaking to his disciples, and this is what he says. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In other words, guys, I've got it under control. I've got this whole situation under control, and so you can go in confidence. All authority in heaven and on earth belongs to me. Go, therefore, and and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so the final instructions that Jesus gives to his disciples is, listen, I, I, want, I want you to go and make more disciples. 
I, 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 want you to, I want you to fish for men. I want, you to, I want you to teach them about me, and I want you to teach them what I taught you. In other words, I want you to share my story with the whole world. That's how we live on mission with Jesus. In essence, Jesus has called us to make him known. And if you're at home, you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write this down. This is how Jesus has called us to make him known. He's called us to make him known by demonstration and by declaration, demonstration and declaration. And so we, we are to live our lives in such a countercultural way that people around us are just simply intrigued by us. They're curious about our lives. They don't understand why we love other people sacrificially, for instance. So we, we demonstrate the gospel by the way that we live. But then we're also called to, to declare the gospel, meaning that we, we have to use our lips. We have to actually open our mouths. Now, here's, here's what I know to be true. Many of us, many of us are really good, or at least pretty good, at demonstrating the gospel. So we, we love our neighbors well. We, uh, we serve our community. We, we seek justice for the oppressed, for the impoverished, we feed the hungry, we care for the poor, and that, that's incredible. I love being a part of a church family that, that demonstrates the gospel well, well. But here's what I also know. I know many of us can begin to use that as an excuse not to declare the gospel with our mouths. You've probably heard the, uh, the quote that's been attributed to Francis of Assisi. Preach the gospel always, when necessary, use words. Now, that's, that's kind of a cool quote. I, I kind of like it because I hear it and I feel a little bit warm and fuzzy inside, but the main problem with that quote is it simply does not work. It just doesn't work. That would be like me coming up to you and saying, hey, give me your phone number. I want to take your phone number down. I'm going to call you later. Give me your phone number. If necessary, use numbers. Of course you've got to use numbers to give me your phone number. We cannot share the gospel without words. I've also noticed that most of the people that use this quote typically are using it as an excuse not to open their mouths and tell people about the difference that Jesus is making in their lives. Because let's be honest, it is a lot easier to live a life with actions that we hope are demonstrating the gospel clearly that's a lot easier than it is for us to open our mouths and share what Jesus has done in our lives because that is, that is way riskier, isn't it? It's way scarier. It's more intimidating, right? We, we, we risk rejection that way. We, we risk embarrassment. We, we risk discomfort. But church, I, I, want, I want you to hear me. Just demonstrating the gospel with our lives is an incomplete task, and here's why. People that see you living, just living a gospel-centered life, when you never actually open your mouth to tell them that it's actually Jesus in you that's producing this kind of life, they will eventually just assume that you're a really awesome person. <laughs> They'll just assume that you're a really great person, and in so doing, you're actually robbing Jesus of his glory. And so church, I want, you to, I want you to listen to me. I'm gonna put this on the screens for you. This is kind of the truth that's gonna set the stage for the whole message this morning. Demonstration without declaration is an incomplete mission. Demonstration without declaration is an incomplete mission. 
church family, yes, yes, please love, love your neighbors well. Continue to care for the, the poor. Let's continue to combat human trafficking. Like all of the things you do, we do collectively. And I love that as a church family, let's keep doing all of those things, but we must never stop with actions. In Luke chapter five, Jesus turns a miracle into a parable so that we could see clearly what living on mission with him is really like. And so if you have a Bible at home, I would just encourage you to, to go ahead and grab it now, turn it on, or maybe on your device or your iPad or whatever it is, and go to Luke chapter five. That's where we're gonna park for the rest of our time together this morning. Luke, that's the third book in your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke, the author of this gospel, was a Greek doctor who became a follower of Jesus, and he wrote what is probably the most detailed historical uh, account of the gospels. And so we're going to start Luke 5, verse 1. Luke writes, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, that's, that's Jesus, to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gesineret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boats. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night long and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And so here, here's the scene. There, there's this one morning, that, there's this massive crowd that's following Jesus. They're pressing in because they want to hear him preaching the word of God. And they're by this, this lake. And Jesus is getting pressed against this lake. And the crowd is so large. And so he looks over and he sees two fishermen. And these two fishermen, are they're cleaning their nets. And so what Jesus does is he goes and he hops in Peter's boat. He says, hey, hey, push me out. And so Jesus then proceeds to teach the crowd, preach to the crowd from the boat. Now, can you imagine the scene? You're there, you're here to, 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 you're there to hear Jesus, and all of a sudden he hops in a boat and kind of pushes out maybe 10 or 20 yards from the crowd, and then you're there surrounded by this beautiful scenery, and Jesus is preaching. Man, it, it would be hard to listen to another sermon, I think, the rest of your life because everything would just pale in comparison to that, to that moment. So Jesus teaches from Peter's boat and after he's done teaching, he goes, Peter, hey, listen, co come here. I want you to grab your nets that you just cleaned. I know you've been fishing all night. You're ready to go home. I want you to, want you to unpack the nets. I want you to bring them back to the boat and we're gonna go out there and I want you to cast your net into the deep. Now at this point, you know Peter's exhausted. I mean, the, script, the scriptures tell us that he had been out literally all night long fishing and he had caught absolutely nothing. And so Peter actually says to Jesus, he's like, Jesus, we, man, we, we've been out all night long. We've been out there all night. I'm, I'm exhausted, disappointed. Just wanna, I just want to go home and, and sleep. I, you got to imagine Peter, if he didn't say it, he at least was probably thinking it like, Jesus, no disrespect to you, but we're, we're fishermen. You're a carpenter, bro. We're, we're fishermen. This, this is nuts. This is crazy. This doesn't make sense. But, but because you're telling me to do it, Jesus, I'll do it. Verse 6, look, look what happens next. And when they had done this, 
They, they enclosed a, a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they, they came and they filled both, both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were also partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. And so Peter and the boys obeyed Jesus, even though it didn't make a lick of sense. And they go and they cast their nets back into the deep, and the haul of fish is so huge that they have to call over another boat. And even with two boats, the haul is so massive that both the boats begin to submerge Finally, they get those boats somehow to the shore, and people are going nuts. They cannot believe what they've just seen. This is incredible. This is a miracle. Peter falls down at the feet of Jesus, and he says, Lord, please depart from me. I'm a sinful man. Now, that's, a, that's kind of an interesting response, isn't it? Because I think... If I were in Peter's shoes, man, I would be high-fiving everybody on the shoreline. I'd be thinking about all the money I'm about to make at the fish market this afternoon. Maybe I'd be planning a little weekend getaway with my family, but not Peter. Peter's on his face. Peter, Peter's broken. He's apparently even afraid. Why? I think it's because Peter realizes maybe for the very first time who Jesus is. And in light of who Jesus is, Peter begins to see himself clearly perhaps for the first time. And that's a whole nother sermon, church family. We, in order for us to see ourselves clearly, we have to see Jesus clearly. And what Peter realizes is, this Jesus guy, this is no ordinary man. This is the Messiah. This is the Christ. This is the guy that the prophets have been prophesying about for the last several thousand years. This is the one who has come to seek and to save. And Jesus, I just imagine him looking down at Peter smiling. I, I, th I think Jesus at this point, I think he, he already loves this, this knucklehead of a fisherman named Peter. And so he says to Peter, hey, Peter, get up, man. Don't, don't be afraid. From, from now on, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. So Jesus takes this miracle. He performs this miracle. He turns it into a parable so that his disciples, so you and I could see clearly what it means, what it looks like to live on mission with him. This is incredible. And from this living parable, I want to show you a, a few truths. I want to show you a few truths, and then we're going to close with uh, one personal challenge. So let me give you four truths about what it looks like to live on mission with Jesus. Living on mission with him means, number one, we've got to stop cleaning and start casting. At some point, believer, at some point, you have to stop cleaning your nets and start casting them out. Now, notice in Luke 5, the, the crowds are pressing in to hear Jesus. Where, where's Peter at? Here's the Son of God preaching to a crowd probably of thousands, and Peter's off to the side cleaning his nets. Like he, He's not even paying attention to what's going on. Now, I want you to hear me. There, there's nothing wrong with us cleaning our nets, like spiritually speaking. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with going to Bible studies, there's nothing wrong with 
uh, going to a community group or a small group. I'm meeting with my community group uh, tonight on Zoom. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with us gathering to, to, to worship God like we're doing right now. We ought to do all those things. We ought to be cleaning our nets spiritually all the time. But at some point, church, we have to realize that the purpose of the net is to catch something. Someone, we have to realize that we've been given grace in order that we might extend the same grace to others. Now, look, I'll be, I'll be honest with you. Um, I'm an introvert. But by nature, that's, that's who I am. Uh, so I, I realize how, how hard this is. Look, I, I'm the guy, uh, just being honest, don't, don't, don't judge me. I'm the guy that typically looks out my window like half the time, okay, maybe more than half the time when I'm about to go check my mail to make sure nobody's out there so I don't have to talk to them, right? Because if I go out there and check my mail and my neighbor's out there, we're gonna have to have a really weird, superficial, awkward conversation, right? Hey, man, how you doing? Doing good, what you doing? I'm checking my mail. Uh, I'm checking my mail too. Oh, beautiful day, right? Boy, beautiful day. All right, bye, see you later. Man, I would rather get punched in the face than have to have that weird, awkward conversation. It's, listen, it's hard. I get it. We don't always get it right. We miss opportunities. I don't always get it right. I miss opportunities. Um, but we're still called to cast, we're called to cast the net. I was, I was listening to a sermon from another pastor recently and uh, he was telling a story that I thought illustrated this pretty well. Uh, he, he was saying that one time when he was in college, he and a few buddies of his were having a Bible study up in his dorm room. And so they were, it was late at night, and so they were studying scripture together, just a group of them, maybe five or six. And one of the guys had a guitar, and so after they studied the scriptures, uh, one of them started playing the guitar, they just started singing, worshiping God. And he said, it was just this, just this incredible moment where he really felt like he was in the presence of God. And he was just worshiping and he was feeling like, man, I just love being in this moment with God. And they were singing these lyrics like, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. God, I'll go wherever you want me to go. And he said, he just, he just got, got this impression as they were singing this song that he was supposed to go downstairs and tell the people below him the gospel. He started thinking, God, the, the people that are having a party right now, you, you want me to go down there? And he's like, nah, that can't, that can't be from the Lord. And so he kept putting it off, he kept singing, and man, the Lord just kept impressing him. Like, you, no, I want you to go downstairs. I know, I know it's midnight or whatever. I want you to go downstairs. I want you to knock on the door. I want you to just tell them about me. And so he kept making excuses. Ah, that can't be the Lord. After about five minutes of this like internal debate between him and God, finally he's like, ah. And he's, he got one of his other friends that was in there. He's like, hey, Peter, man, go, come, come with me, man. So they go downstairs and they go down there. The, the music's rocking, man. And they, they knock on the door and the guy comes to the door and they said, man, he's clearly drunk. His eyes are bloodshot. He's got a beer in his hand. And um, he said, hey, uh, this is gonna sound really weird, but um, we're upstairs having a Bible study and just felt like God was telling me to come down here and tell you about the gospel. And he said, he was thinking in his mind, like, please slam the door in my face. Please slam the door in my face. But this other guy was like, all right, come on in. And so he gathers all the people at the party around. He's like, hey, these boys want to tell us something. So he said, they sat there for 10 or 15 minutes and just broke down the gospel. Just shared the gospel with them. He said, they got done. And everybody just kind of looked at him like, okay, we're done. All right, see ya. And they left. And he thought that was the end of it. But he said later that night at four o'clock in the morning, he got a knock on his dorm room door and he opened the door and there was a guy standing there with tears pouring down his face. And he said, man, you're not gonna believe this, but I've been running from God. And when you shared the hope that I could have, I could have a relationship with the God of this universe through Jesus, I just know I need that, man. 
So can you tell me what that looks like? How do I do that? So he invited him into his dorm room, prayed with him. He prayed to receive Christ. Later that week, he led his girlfriend to Christ. Over the next two or three weeks, they led several of their friends that were at that party to Christ. And the whole thing I was thinking about as I heard this guy tell this story was, listen, Christians, at some point, we gotta stop cleaning our nets and start casting our nets. This is what God has called us to. This is what he's equipped us for. The gospel that he's given us is powerful. The word says that it's the power to save. So we've got to, at some point, we've got to stop cleaning and we have to start casting. So that's number one. Living on mission means number two. Christian, in your exhaustion, in your disappointment, you've got to be looking up for the miracle. You've got to be looking up for the miracle. Listen, Peter almost missed it, didn't he? Jesus was preaching to the crowds. The crowds were mesmerized. Peter didn't care. He was off to the side cleaning his nets. Peter's trying to get out of there and go home so he can get a nap. He had been up all night, hadn't caught anything. He's exhausted. He's disappointed. He's probably discouraged. He might even be a little bit depressed. He might even be feeling a little bit of anxiety. Like, man, how am I supposed to feed my family when I can't even catch a single fish? Like, God, I'm working hard here. And nothing is going right. Nothing is going my way. He's discouraged and he's exhausted. And I'm guessing, if I were to guess, I'm guessing that's exactly where some of you under the sound of my voice are this morning right now. You're right where Peter was. You're exhausted. Maybe you're out of work. Maybe you've been laid off. Maybe you've been furloughed. Maybe you're at home trying to balance work with homeschooling your kids with the stress of not knowing what's coming tomorrow. And in those moments, if we're not careful church family, we can be really tempted to allow our minds and allow our hearts to begin to drift into dark places of despair. And we can get so, we can get so wrapped up in all of the pain and all of the fear and all of the anxiety and all of the uncertainty that we can forget, like Peter almost did, we can forget to look up and see what God is up to all around us, to see the opportunities that he's about to give us that he has already given us. Parents, I want, I want you to hear me. You have, you have more time with your kids right now than you've ever had before and you likely ever will have again in the future. This, this is a gift. It may be an un, unwanted gift for you, but it is a gift nonetheless. Maybe you've been wanting to invest in your kids spiritually at home to disciple them and you've always had an excuse before. Right there in school all the time, at work all the time, I'm taking them to soccer practice, I'm taking them to piano lessons or whatever it is. Listen, there's, there's no excuse now. God has given you this moment. Let me encourage you to, to seize it. Your neighbors, guess what? They're home. It's springtime. They're gonna be outside working in their yards. You can talk to them from 10 feet away. You can social distance and still communicate. You can ask them how they're doing. You can ask them what they need. You can ask them if they're scared, if they need anything. You can invite them to Easter online next week. You can share that you're, you're concerned too but that your hope is secure because of what Jesus has done on your behalf. Listen, there will be elderly people, there will be sick people that you know in your neighborhood, in your apartment complex, right? And they may need you to make a grocery run or a pharmacy run. Church, there are limitless opportunities out there right now. The potential harvest is huge, just like it was for Peter, even though he couldn't see it in the moment. Church, this is the chance for us to be the church instead of just going to church. 
This is, this is a huge moment for us. This is our time. So even in those exhausting moments, even in those moments where anxiety begins to creep in, even when you can't see it, this is our time to seize. I just, church, I believe that whenever it is, a few weeks from now, a few months from now, we're gonna look back at this time and we're gonna see that good came out of it. We're gonna look back at this time and we're gonna see the fingerprints of God and I don't wanna look back at this season in our time and history and in my life. I don't wanna look back and realize that I was so focused on my own discouragement, on my own exhaustion or my own irritation that I can't go out and do the things that I wanna do and be with the people that I wanna be with or I was so focused on my own fear that I, that I missed the call from Jesus to cast my nets that I missed the, the greatest haul, the greatest miracle that God ever put in my life, God. So church, let's, let's not miss it. Living on mission with Jesus also means, number three, obeying even when it feels pointless. Obeying even when it feels pointless. Man, the, the last thing Peter felt like doing that morning in Luke chapter five was pushing back out in that stinking boat that he had been in all night long and casting those nets, again, that he had just spent probably half an hour cleaning. He'd been out there all night. He had to be thinking in that moment, Jesus, we are, we're the pros, man. We, we know these waters well. We know the movements of these fish. This is not the time where we're gonna catch any fish. Peter honestly didn't have a particularly great attitude about obeying Jesus, but here's the thing. He did it anyway. He obeyed anyway. Even when it didn't make sense to him, even when it seemed foolish, even when it felt like a waste of time, he loved Jesus and he trusted him enough to obey anyway. And he had every reason in the world not to do what Jesus had asked him to do. And you and I have every reason in the world and every excuse in the world not to do what he's asking us to do. We are pros at excuse making, aren't we? Like I'm, I'm varsity level at making excuses and I'm guessing that you are too. God, they would, they would never listen, God. God, I, I've shared with them before and they didn't, they didn't wanna hear it. God, they, if I shared with that person, my family member, that neighbor, that coworker, that classmate, they would, they would make fun of me, they would mock me. God, I'm, I'm, not good with, I'm not good with words. I can't think of what to say when I get nervous. I would just mess it all up. God, I, I'm an introvert. God, I don't know enough about the Bible to share anything with anybody. Man, we got a million and one excuses. It reminds me of uh, the story I was reading earlier this week in Exodus chapter four, where God is telling Moses to go to the king of Egypt to tell him to let his people go, the people of Israel go. Now remember, the previous chapter, chapter three, Exodus three, Moses had just had a burning bush experience with God. I mean, he had, he had audibly heard from God. He had seen God in this fiery bush. He had experienced God like never before. And many of us have those kind of spiritual burning bush moments or experiences, maybe in a, maybe in a worship service or maybe in a quiet time where we're just alone with the word and God and he moves or maybe at a youth camp or we're out in nature and we just have these moments and, and we're, we're experiencing God and we sense and we feel his presence like we never have before. And it's just like when we're in those moments, like, God, I, I never want you to leave me. I always wanna live in this moment. I always wanna stay connected to you. I'm gonna do whatever you want me to do. And Moses had an experience like that. And you would think that those moments that we experienced, that Moses experienced, would make us never question God again. 
You would think Moses would just be like, yeah, God, you want me to go talk to the Pharaoh? I just saw you. I just heard you in a burning bush. Let's go now. Let's go do this now. But that's not what happens. Moses almost immediately begins to make excuses. His first excuse is probably the same excuse that many of us use. God, they wouldn't believe me. God, they're not, they're not gonna believe me. So God's like, okay, I'm gonna take that excuse off the table. I'm gonna, give, I'm gonna do these three or four miracles for you and they're not gonna be able to doubt what you're saying because of these miracles that I performed through you and then they're gonna believe you. Moses is like, dang, I thought that was a good excuse. God just took that off the table and so he comes up with excuse number two. Moses is like, I, I can't speak. I'm not an eloquent speaker. I'm slow at speech and we don't know if he had a speech impediment or a stutter or or whatever, and, but whatever it is, Moses is like, God, see, I, I would love to go, man, but I, I, I can't because I got this thing. So then God says to Moses, Moses, who, who, made, who made the human mouth? Moses, I want you to go, and I'm gonna go with you. I'll teach you what to say in the very moment. Eventually, Moses begins to run out of excuses, and then he just says, God, please send, God, please send somebody else. Moses eventually just resorts to begging God. God finally gives him another guy, Aaron, to go with him. And he says, Moses, listen, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with you, just go. Finally, Moses obeys. The end result, after a lot of drama, is Israel is, is set free. This led to the salvation of an entire nation. Moses just had to open his mouth and obey. One man's obedience changed the course of countless lives. So I just wanna ask you, friend, as you're watching this morning, what could God do through your life if you were obedient to this call to cast your nets? What could God do? What might God do? What would God do? What would God do collectively through our church family of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people if we begin to cast this net? What, 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 what could God do? What would God do if even, even half of us begin to open our, our mouths and, and declare with humility, not arrogance, with humility that God has saved us and what he's done through his son, Jesus Christ, for us, that he's given us freedom, he's set us free and given us new life. Church, listen to me. We are living in a time when we can't even meet together. I'm standing here right now and I'm preaching to an empty room that is usually filled with hundreds of people twice every Sunday. It would seem from a human perspective that there, is, there are no fish to catch. I'm here by myself in an empty room. You're stuck at home. You can't go to work. It would seem as if there were no fish. But church, let me just say to you, what, what, if, what if Jesus has positioned his church at this moment in time, this place in history, he's positioned us precisely where he wants us to haul in a huge catch? What if he's actually positioned us to where we would be scatter, scattered instead of gathered so that his kingdom would advance and that we would begin to live our lives on mission with him so that we would cast our nets and let him do the miracle of filling the nets that we catch? You say, Chris, man, I, I just, I hear you, man, but I, you don't know me, man. I'm, I, I just, I wouldn't know what to say. I don't know how to share my story. I don't have the courage. I know, I, I get it because I don't either. That's, that's the bad news, but the, here's, here's the good news. Here's the good news. Courage is birthed in the presence of Jesus. And so here's, here's the last truth that I wanna give you. We'll start to land the plane. Number four, find the presence of Jesus and live there. 
because courage is birthed in the presence of Jesus. We talked about Peter, we've talked about Moses. Let me show you something cool and then we'll be done. Moses, Moses, the, the Michael Jordan of excuse making. Eventually he went with the presence of God and with his help, Moses did open his mouth and God changed the course of history forever. Peter, the grumpy, discouraged, exhausted fisherman. Three years after we read this account in Luke chapter five, Peter, that same guy, stood up on Pentecost in front of a crowd of thousands of people and he preached the first Christian sermon ever preached and 3,000 people were saved that day. 300 years from then, by 351 AD, over half of the pagan Roman Empire professed Jesus as king. 1,700 years after that, we're gathered today in 2020 with hundreds of millions of believers around the world as we pray as we worship, as we proclaim that this Jesus came for us, that he conquered, that he rose again, and that he gives life now and in eternity. Listen, church family, friend, you do not have what it takes to live on mission with Jesus. You don't have what it takes, and I don't either. The good news is we are not alone. Jesus said, I will be with you always, even until the end of the age, and that changes everything. And so we go and we tell. Though our knees tremble and our voices quiver, we proclaim with our mouths and we demonstrate with our lives that life is found in Jesus and in him alone. I wanna show you uh, a video now from one of our, our team members here that I think really illustrates what it means or what it looks like to live on mission with Jesus. So you, got, you guys watch this now. that this encourages you, this motivates you, and that you feel inspired to share your faith with other people. Before I came to the Lord, I didn't really feel a need for anything that had to do with God, and I was pretty outspoken and confident. But then September 11th happened. I was like, well, what is the purpose of my life, and what happens well, what's gonna happen to me if I were to die tomorrow? During this time, my grandma kept insisting that I take her to church on Sundays. And I would, but I didn't wanna be with her in the service because I felt disingenuine and it didn't attract me at all. So I would lie and lie and lie to her every Sunday and tell her, oh, I have to go to work. I was very sad to be lying to my grandma. And I walked out of that church and I was upset and I looked up at the sky and I said, God, if you really exist, if you really are there, then you're gonna have to prove it to me. During this time, I was working at an art gallery and my boss, I was really attracted to her. I loved the fact that she was really outgoing and she was funny and I just would watch her a lot because I, I wanted to have her position one day. And when things were really good for her, she would say, praise the Lord and thank you, Jesus, and hallelujah. And that made me feel really uncomfortable. And so, I started to ask her a lot of questions. So I would argue with her constantly and I would talk to her, my goodness, for months and months and months. But she was always willing to talk to me and she was so faithful in sharing constantly. She was humble and she was always cutting to the truth. And one time I said, you know, I'm a really good person. I've never killed anybody. And she looked at me and said, Angelica, you're still a sinner. And she cut right through my heart. I mean, that was, that was true, 
and I knew it. But shortly after that, I came to follow Christ. And I'm so thankful that she took the time to talk to me, even when things were hard, and share her faith. Now about six years ago, I met another lady who is also very outgoing, very outspoken, very sure of herself. And we became friends through a homeschooling co-op. And we started to hang out. She was a Buddhist and we had conversations about faith a lot. During my relationship with her, she came down with breast cancer. And she started to ask me to pray for her. And I thought, okay, she's opening that door. So I'm going to pray for her and start sharing my faith. And I did. And it got really uncomfortable at times. She did not want to hear anything about Jesus or about God or about Christianity. She progressively got worse and worse. And I could see that God was softening her heart because she was asking more and more questions. I was boldly talking to her even when I felt uncomfortable or it was inconvenient. There were times when I was afraid that I would lose her friendship. She said, Angelica, I think you have a beautiful faith and I'm so grateful that you do, but you're never gonna change my mind. And she was right. I couldn't change her mind. I knew that the only person that could do that was God. And there were a lot of people praying for her. So I knew that God was working. And at times I got really frustrated and I would get really angry at God and say, why did you put this lady in my life? She's just so stubborn. Kathy actually got better. And so when she got better, she stopped asking questions. And I thought, oh no, I missed the opportunity. Later on in that year, she came down with a pneumonia and it wouldn't go away and it wouldn't go away. So she got tested and unfortunately, the cancer in her breast had actually spread to her lungs. If she came to me and she said, Angelica, I'm dying. I know I'm not gonna make it. And so I just felt a lot of pressure to continue to pray for her and to share my faith. I bought this book for her called The Lotus and the Cross with Ravi Zacharias and I read it first and I started to read up on Buddhism so I could understand where she was coming from and I sent the book to her and she thanked me for it and then later on down the road she asked me for scriptures. She said, would you share scriptures with me that would encourage me and what scriptures ground you and help you in your faith? So I, I wrote a little book of scriptures for her and at the very end of it I challenged her and said, you know, wrote that the only way to God is through Jesus and you could have eternal salvation if you accepted him. And that's it. I sent that, that little book to her and I thought she's surely going to throw it in the garbage. Well, she actually invited me to her home and when I walked into her bedroom, she had that book on her bed, that little scripture book that I wrote for her, the Ravi Zacharias book and another book about Buddha written by a monk. And I was like, wow, you've got some heavy reading there. And she's like, I'm doing a comparative study. So I knew that God was working in her heart. About a week later, she invited me to her house again. And this time she sat on her bed and she said, okay, I'm ready to accept God as my savior. How do I, how, what do I need to do to close this deal? So we prayed on her bed and I was so excited for her. Later on that day, when I saw her again, I had taken her children with me to the Fall Fest and came back to drop them off. And when I saw her, I said, Kathy, it's your birthday. Did you know that? You're born again. It is your birthday today. And she said, I know, I know. I'm, I'm as white as snow. I'm as white as snow. And that was the last time that I saw my friend. She passed away exactly 24 hours later after having received him. And I'm so thankful that God was able to put me in her life and that even though it was hard, 
that I was able to share my faith, like my friend share her faith with me. And I hope that that gives you encouragement. And I'll leave us with this scripture in Philemon 6. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Thank you. So here's, here's my challenge. Somebody is out there watching this right now and you don't know this God. You don't know this God who changes everything, but he's, he's inviting you in today, this morning. He's, he's calling you, he's, he's wooing you, and you, you know that. You sense that, you feel that in your spirit. Your heart is beating a little faster right now. And so if that's you, if I'm talking to you right now, when we pray in just a minute, I just wanna invite you to, in your own words, give your life to him. Just to tell him in your own words that you, you wanna follow him, ask him to forgive you of your sins, and tell him that you wanna know him, follow him, and live on mission with him for the rest of your life. And for the Christians who are tuned in out there watching this, I got one question for you and we'll be done. Who is God calling you to share this story with? Who's God calling you to share this story with? We're gonna get you a tool this week that's gonna make it easier for you. We'll be posting it on social media. It's my, my favorite method right now. It's called the three circles method. It's super easy, but the reality is your story is the most powerful way to share the truth of the gospel. I always encourage people to share their story in three parts, to tell people what your life was like before Jesus, to tell people how you met Jesus, how you encountered him, when you begin to follow him, and then the third part is to tell them how your life has been changed since you've been following Jesus. And look, let me just encourage you, get creative. Man, everybody's, everybody's at home right now, they're bored, they're, they're scrolling through social media. What, what if a bunch of us shot like a, a three-minute video like Angelica just did, just kind of sharing our faith story. And what if we posted that on social media in the coming weeks? Or what if you, you emailed that to some friends and family that God begins to put on your heart? What if, what if each of us just reached out to one person this week and just said, hey, can I, can I share the most important thing in my life with you? No judgment. I just think this is beautiful. This is something that has changed my life, and I just want you, I just want you to know about it. You can even blame it on me. Man, my weird pastor asked me to do this weird exercise, and so is it okay if I practice on you? Blame it on me, but, but find a way this week to get creative and share your story as part of the greatest story, and that is the big idea of the whole message this morning. Share your story, new life. Share your story as part of the greatest story. Church, let's make much of Jesus this week for our good and for his highest glory. Let me pray for us and we'll sing. Father, thanks for, thanks for giving us purpose in life, God. Thank you for saving us and sending us, God. Thank you that you didn't just stop with saving us, but you've given us a purpose. You've given us a mission to make disciples, to become fishers of men and women and little boys and little girls that need to hear the love and the hope that they can have in you. So God, would you give us a supernatural courage? I know we don't have it in and of ourselves, but God, but you can give it to us. So would you give us that supernatural courage to live on mission with you this week, God, to share our story as part of the greatest story? And God, would you, against all odds, would you work a miracle in this season? As we cast our nets, would you work the miracle of filling those nets to overflowing? 
God, would you grant a, a huge haul, a massive harvest of men and women and boys and girls in your kingdom, God, for their good and for your fame among the nations. And we ask all of this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.